Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. One of the hardest things about church work is uh, figuring out if you're actually accomplishing what God has called you to accomplish. And it's, it's not like a business. Uh, if you guys are self-employed, if you're in you know, uh, an industry or something, you know there's, e- there's an easy matrix to figuring out if you're actually doing well. Like, did we, did we make more widgets than we did last year, sell more, or our revenues up, or profits up, and all these different things? Well, church work is different. Church work is about souls. It's about eternal uh, impact. And, and so sometimes it's very hard to come up with a matrix that says, yes, we're on the right track. We're accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. And so twice a year, we take our staff. We call it a retreat, but it's just to trick them. Uh, we actually take them and we lock them in for about three days and we force them to plan. And they plan out all the year's events. They plan out what we're doing and, and how to accomplish the goal that God has given us. And one of the things that we kept talking about is we want to be a New Testament church. We want to be a church that's not about, hey, bring your friends to us on a Sunday morning and we hope that they hear a message and they're saved. We said, no, no, wait. The way we see it in Scripture is that our job as pastors is to equip the saints for the work that God has for them. So it's the idea that as disciples of Christ, every one of us are called to go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize people, and raise them up. Teach them everything that Jesus has taught us. Teach them to be more like Christ every day. And so here's how this works. We want you to learn uh, to grow in your faith, and then we want you to share that with the people around you, to reach them because of the difference in your life. They go, man, I want what you have. And then you can lead them to Christ. You get in the tub, you baptize them, and then when you do that, you enter into a lifelong covenant relationship with them to teach them everything that God is teaching you to grow them up in Christ. This is the life of a disciple. And so uh, I was raised in churches that did it a different way and it just never worked. And so the more we studied scripture, that's what it boiled down to. And so we said, how do we do that? How do we teach everybody at Mountain View Fellowship how to live a life in such a way that the people around them, their family and their friends and their coworkers see that in them and they, they develop this hunger within them for that and then they can teach them how to receive Christ. They can baptize them and then they can grow them up. They can disciple them, uh, coach them, if you want a, a word that's used more today, and how to be more like Christ. And so last October, we've got the whole staff locked in. And we're hammering on this. We're going, how do we do this? How do we make this happen? Because this is what God is calling us to do. And and one of the goals that we wrote down, I want to show this to you, uh, was what I thought at the time, I'm writing it down, I'm thinking, man, this is so big, God, we need you because I don't see this ever happening. And it's just too short of a time frame. We said in 2019 that we wanted to baptize 50 people, but here was the trick. This was going to be the, uh, the matrix for determining whether we're actually raising up disciples is that we wanted 40 of those baptisms to be by somebody other than a pastor. And if you look at the list, we're not even, we hadn't even got into September yet. We've had 71 people baptized and 43 different people have baptized them. 
that's, that's a party right there. Uh, and that's bigger than an earthly party. That's an eternal party. And so we're so excited about that. And I wanted to share that with you just to say, hey, great job. Keep it up. Keep living the life just dedicated to Christ and keep reaching out to the people around you. Foster those out relationships because I want you to get wet. I want you in the tub. I want you baptized. Now, if your name is not on there, I'm going to ask you. You don't have to answer me right now, but I'm going to ask you, when is that going to happen for you? Because God wants to use you to have an eternal impact in his kingdom. That's why he saved you. Not just so you could have fire insurance, but so that you could turn around and save others. We we say it, save people, save people, or baptize people, baptizing people. That's our big goal here. We want to see that over and over and over again. So that's a big celebration. I just wanted to share that with you this morning as we got going. Uh, Guys, we are um, excited because uh, one of the things that we're doing to help achieve that is we're establishing like a a step-by-step process on how we're going to teach people how to do this. Now, uh, one of the things that we've established is what's called an expedition class. If you don't know how to disciple someone, you need to sign up for that and get, it, get plugged in right away. We've had our third round. They're wrapping up this week, and uh, it's amazing. What they'll do is they'll teach you how to walk through the book of Mark. Just a very simplistic way of doing it. Teach you a lot of different ways to study it. But in that, the idea is that you would be able to sit down with somebody else and walk through the book of Mark with them. And in that, what you're doing is teaching them how to walk, how to, how to live like a disciple of Jesus Christ. So with that being said, today we're actually doing the message uh, mostly out of the book of Mark. And so I'm excited about that. But uh, hopefully when you hear Mark, that just reminds you, you need to sign up for expedition class. Now today, uh, I'm excited about this because we are starting a brand new series entitled When God Is. And we left it open because we're going to cover four different things over the next four weeks And we're going to be talking about our response to God when it seems like God is, today I want to talk to you about when God is silent. Anybody ever had a moment or a season in life? Have you ever experienced like a time when God was silent in your life? Anybody? Yeah, quite a few of you. Yeah, lots of hands. Uh, If you haven't, it's coming, okay? It's just part of what happens as we walk with Christ. Uh, And it can mean several different things, but we're going to talk about that today. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about when God seems to be unfair, Uh, We're going to talk about when God seems to be late, when God seems to be uncooperative. And we're going to talk about how do we view that? What do we do with that? And and how do we respond to that? I'm going to warn you up front for the next four weeks, uh, this is going to be a tough series. It really is. It may frustrate you at times. Some of you won't like it because there's not like 12 steps to get God to speak to you. It's nothing like that, all right? There's no quick fixes. Uh, So right now you're like, great. Thanks, Don. I got out of bed for this, right? Uh, But I'm just being honest with you. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk about real stuff because this is what happens in real life. And I don't want you to be surprised by that. I don't want you to, to despair. And I don't want your faith to falter in those moments. I want it to grow. And so that's why I think it's important for us to address these things. So today, let's talk about when God seems silent. And so would you flip over to Mark chapter 1, go to verses 1 through 8. Uh, like I said, this is awesome because we've got a whole class that's been working through the book of Mark for the last uh, two months. It's a 13-week course, and so uh, this, this is just fresh on some of your minds already because you've already gone through it. But we're flipping over to Mark chapter 1 today. The other thing that we're doing today, I want to make sure that you're aware of, at the bottom of the screen, you'll see Ask Anything. If you have any questions during this message for the next four weeks, we want to get the pastors up on the stage 
to answer the questions for you before you leave because I suspect we're going to spark a lot of questions from this series. So that's going to stay on the bottom of the screen. So anytime you uh, have a question, you can just pull up your phone and text that question into us. And then at the end of the service, we'll get our pastors up here to answer them before we head out to hopefully get to a couple of them anyway. So uh, let, me, let me ask this. Many of you, you raised your hand when I asked the question, did you have a season of silence? So many of you have been through that already. Let me ask you, how did you respond to that? Did your faith waver or did you get stronger in that moment? So I think for many of us, we go through seasons like this where God is silent and sometimes we'll even listen to like the Christians around us. And these are well-meaning Christians, but they'll, they'll talk about, you know, God doing something amazing, a miracle in their life. Like he, he uh, I don't know, they prayed and he showed up in a big way or they, they were looking for a job and they needed one by next week and, and God opened these amazing doors and, and dropped this amazing job right in their lap or he saved their marriage or they were short on a bill and God showed up and gave them to the cent the exact amount. Have you guys ever heard a testimony like this? Anybody? All right, yeah. And you know what? God does that. He really does. But here's the problem. When you're going through a season of silence, sometimes those things can actually make you feel worse. They can make it more difficult because you're like, okay, God is working and doing miracles in other people's lives, but not mine. Why is he not answering me? And why can I not feel close to God in this moment? And sometimes that even causes us to struggle. So what do you do when God is silent? What do you do when God feels like he's inattentive or he's inactive in your life? How do you deal with that? Take a look at Mark chapter 1. Go to verse 1. Uh, let me ask this question. How... Uh, how many of you have a, like a translation that has a heading? Do you have a heading? What's your heading? Okay, I'm hearing it from several. John the Baptist prepares the way, right? So hang on to that. That's a nugget of truth I want you to hang on to. John the Baptist prepares the way. It says this. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So we, we are told right up front in the book of Mark, this book is going to be all about the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. They're going to make a case for this. And by the way, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got guys coming up and down. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. If you do need a Bible, these are gifts to you. Uh, it's our gift. Just put your name in it. It's your Bible. And uh, just keep coming back and diving into the Word of God with us. Verse 2 says, Just as the prophet Isaiah had written. So now, he says this book is all about Jesus. We're going to make a case that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he starts to quote prophecy. And he says, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Keep that in mind as well. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. He's quoting from Isaiah. He's quoting from Malachi. And so he's making a case that Jesus Christ is the Messiah here. He goes on to say, this messenger was who? John the Baptist. So Mark is not hiding this at all. He's just telling you up front, hey, all the prophecy, there was going to be somebody to prepare the way. Guess who it is? It's John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness. That's key because that's some of the prophecy. And preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon. 
who is greater than I. You guys sang about that this morning, right? So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John is declaring who Jesus is. He's preparing the way for Jesus. And if you keep reading, you'll find out that John will actually go on to baptize Jesus. Now, there's some facts that we know from Scripture about John the Baptist. First one is he's the cousin to Jesus Christ. If you remember the Christmas story, Mary's pregnant. She goes to see Elizabeth, and, and Elizabeth's pregnant as well, and, and her baby leaps within her because Mary comes close, and it's this idea that Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist, and when Jesus gets close, he leaps. Even before they're ever born, he's like, hey, that's the Messiah. That's the Son of God right there. Uh, he's also a prophet. He's standing out in the wilderness. He's fulfilling prophecy. He's wearing animal skins, guys. Dude, I like this guy already, right? Camel hair, he's eating locusts and honey. That's a guy you go hunting with, all right? He is just a guy, and he's out in the wilderness, and, and, and people are coming to him, and he's not afraid to speak truth. He's calling them out on their sin. He actually becomes a hero among the common people. He's saying, look, prepare yourself, repent of your sins, and be baptized. And, and if you slide down to verse 17... Uh, I want to show you something because I want to show you that he's not afraid to address sin. He's not afraid to tell people to repent, even the highest officials. Uh, see, there's a guy by the name of Herod, and he's the appointed leader of the region. He's been appointed by Rome, and the people see him almost as a traitor, but he is over this area of, of Judea. And what is interesting about him is he's got a wife, and he's got a brother. His, name is bro uh, his brother's name is Philip. Brother uh, has a wife. And he likes his brother's wife, apparently, more than his own. And look what happens in verse 17. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. Herodias is now his wife. Now, uh, let me go, it just says it right here. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. So here's what happened. Herod liked his brother's wife more than his, he divorces his wife and marries his brother's wife. And John calls him on it. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. So ruler of the area, divorces his wife, marries his brother's wife. John doesn't care. He doesn't care who he is. He's like, that's sin. And he calls it what it is. He calls him out on it because of it. Uh, Philip's wife, who is now Herod's wife, Herodias, and she must have been a lot more beautiful than her name, she, she hates him for it. And she plots to kill him because he keeps saying, look, what you guys are doing is wrong. Now, put your finger right there because uh, we're going to come back to Matt, Mark here in just a minute. I want you to go to the left, and I want you to go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 because I want to show you something else as well. Now, in what we just read, it says that because he was calling Herod and Herodias out on their sin, that he sent soldiers and he grabbed John the Baptist and they brought him and they imprisoned him and they put him in prison. Let me ask a question. Why? Has he done anything wrong? No, he's actually doing exactly what God's called him to do. And he's in prison. So he's sitting in prison after having done exactly what God had called him to do and he, he's sitting there, and do you think he's going, thank you, Jesus, this is so awesome. 
I get to sit in prison because I did exactly what you told me to do. Anyone think he's doing that? Do you think that his faith was like super strong in that prison? Or do you think that maybe he had some questions? See, I think John was human. I think he had some questions. I think he was struggling in this moment just a little bit because here he is, he's done exactly what God wanted him to do and he's found himself in a dirty, nasty prison. Now, John faithfully served God in everything that he did and said. He's announcing the arrival of Jesus. He's even going to the place of saying, hey, um, I'm not the one you should follow. Follow Jesus. I'm not even worthy to untie his saddle, his sandals. And then he looks and he says, look, he even at one point in the scripture declares who Jesus is. That's the Messiah. That's who you need to follow. And he's arrested and he's put in prison for doing what is right. And I'm sure in that moment he's thinking, okay, I just have to wait because I'm sure Jesus is going to come rescue me. Like, I, I even told everybody who he was. I pointed him out. Everyone knows who he is because I'm preparing the way for him. And, and so he's going to come, and I'm sure he's going to rescue me. He's going to bust me out of here. He's going to pay, you know, whatever fine and, and get me out of here. That's what's going to happen, right? Not really. See, there was another moment, and, and the reason I can say I think he was questioning things is because earlier he was in prison. So he's not in prison just once. He's in prison several times. Some of you can relate to that, right? Oh, that was like nervous laughter, you guys. You know what? If you've ever done time, you're in good company. All the disciples did too, all right? So just get over it. Anyway, so there was another time he's in prison, and he has some doubts. Uh, take a look at this. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison again, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. I want to stop just for a minute. He's in prison. He's hearing about the miracles. He's hearing about the, the blind being able to see because Jesus touched their eyes. He's, he's hearing about sickness being healed. He's hearing about uh, water being turned into wine. He's, he's heard about all the miracles. He's heard about the dead coming back to life because of the words of Jesus. Jesus is doing miracles for strangers. He's still sitting in prison. Jesus is doing miracles for other people, but not him. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? What is that? It's doubt. That's a struggle. Jesus, are you aware of what I'm going through? Do you... Do you know what's happening to me? Are, are you the one, like I told everybody you were the Messiah, are you the Messiah? Because it doesn't seem like you're doing anything about my situation here. Should we be expect, expecting somebody else? Look at verse four. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then Jesus does this. And then he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. They take this back to John, and John's, yeah, I've heard those stories already. And then they get to, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. And he's like, what? Really? That, that's what I'm going to get? 
I'm sure John's sitting there thinking, I, I thought I was going to get, look, John, um, I know you're in prison, okay? Tell John, we know he's there, okay? And actually last night, me and the disciples, we got together and we, we got this plan together. We're going to bust him out. Just let him know tomorrow night we're coming for him. That's not what he gets. He gets, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. What do you do with that? I, I would say it this way. Um, just because God is silent doesn't mean God is absent. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. Just because you can't hear his voice doesn't mean that he doesn't know what's happening in your life. Just because you haven't gotten uh, the map from him doesn't mean that he hasn't given you direction. Just because you can't hear his voice doesn't mean that he's leading you. You just have to stay at it. Even in those seasons of silence, you have to stay True to your faith in him and keep following him because he knows what's going on. He might seem silent. He might seem inattentive. He might seem inactive, but he's not. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that God is absent. Now, remember I told you to put your finger in Mark. Go back to Mark real quick. Actually, go to Mark chapter 6. Go to verse 26. Verse 26. Because the story continues. He's, he gets arrested. He gets thrown in prison. Not for the first time. But this time's different. Because Herod is now married to Herodias who wants to take his life. And, and uh, it's Herod's birthday. And for his birthday, he throws a kegger, man. And he throws a massive, I don't know if they had kegs back then. They, he throws a big drunken party, all right? They're drinking a lot. If you don't believe me, just read the text. They're all drunk. You're the greatest guy in the world. You're the man. You're awesome. I love you, man. I love you, man. All right, this whole party's going on. It's just getting out of hand, just crazy. So crazy, in fact, that they have Herodias' daughter, who's a teenager at the time, come in and dance. Now, as a pastor, I'm supposed to tell you that it was this beautiful interpretive dance. But honestly, when you read the text, it's more probably closer to something with a pole. Are you getting the picture without me... Okay, I want you to know this because this is what's going on. And if John had been standing there, he'd have been preaching against it. But he's in prison. And she comes in and does a dance, and it must have been an amazing dance. I don't know what she did. But Herod begins to brag. Whatever you want. That was so awesome. Whatever you want, you can have it. Up to half of my kingdom, I'll give you. That's, that's a pretty extreme statement. What's he doing? He's bragging. He's showing off. He's got all of his friends there. Anybody who's anybody there is, is at this party. They're celebrating his birthday, and he starts to brag and show off a little bit. And, and so uh, she doesn't know what to do. So she goes to her mother, Herodias, and she says, what should I ask for? You know what Herodias is going to say? Go back and tell him I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. You guys didn't know this stuff was in the Bible, did you? It's pretty awesome. You thought your soap opera was exciting. So she goes back to John, uh, she goes back to Herodi uh, Herod and gives him the request, I want John the Baptist's head. Now, in this moment, if Hollywood was writing this story, this is where Jesus would enter. God would show up in a big way. 
Like he would send his warrior angel Gabriel and he would bust through the front of the, of the prison and, and he would blind all of the guards. He would strike down any that tried to take him out. He would use dynamite. He would blow off the gate of the, of the, the prison. The shackles would just fall off of John's arms and he would come walking out with this angel army to all of the faithful standing outside the prison going, John, 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 right? You think that's what happens? Now take a look at this, verse 26. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of his vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. What do you do? God is silent. I mean, couldn't Jesus rescue him? Couldn't God have done something different? Couldn't he have intervened? But he didn't. Where's God in this story? See, one of the things that we struggle with is we think that God is always going to work the way that we want him to work. We, we really do. But God never works the way we plan, does he? He's not a vending machine where we stick in certain amount of, of you know, prayers and something kicks out. It's not, it's not the way he works. See, John's purpose was what? Can I, does anyone remember what his purpose was? What was the heading at the top of Mark 1? To prepare the way. That was his heading. See, John's purpose had been fulfilled. It was to prepare the way. More importantly, God's purpose was fulfilled, just not according to John's plan. God had a purpose in all of this. We struggle with that sometimes. But he had fulfilled his purpose. It had been prophesied hundreds of years before. That was John's job. That's exactly what he did. And he had fulfilled his purpose. But I'm sure in that moment he's like, God, what are you doing? Now, we know that life doesn't go as planned, right? Does anyone not know that here? Like, it never goes as planned. You can make all the plans you want. And actually, Proverbs chapter 19, 21 says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. See, there's a big difference between our plans and God's purpose many times. My wife and I have uh, fought off an autoimmune disease for over 30 years. It cost us our first son. Uh, it's cost uh, us thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I think uh, one of the wings down here at university we paid for we fight this disease all the time. You don't think that we've prayed that God would take it, that she would be healed? You don't think that um, we've gone to healing services, that we would try anything we could to see a miracle in that? But here's what we've learned after 32 plus years. God's purpose is not always our plan. We've seen after 32 years, it's taken me this long to figure it out, but God has used it in a mighty way. He's changed us. We're different people today because of it. And honestly, I like me better today. Because without that, I don't know if I could relate to anybody who struggles. I just don't. But because it's my wife, I struggle. He's broken us for people who suffer. 
He's changed our heart. He's changed our attitude, and, and he's used it in, in a lot of different ways. We've actually sit and helped other people walk through seasons like that because we've been through it ourselves. And one of the problems that we have is so often we're praying for something, and it's our plan, but maybe it's not God's purpose. See, we should never interpret God's goodness through our circumstances. When you're doing that, you've got the binoculars backwards, and God seems far away. But when you flip them over, all of a sudden you start to learn how to interpret your circumstances through God's goodness or through the lens of his faithfulness. It changes everything. Because you start to go, okay, God, not my will, but yours. See, you don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. You don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. Maybe you prayed for somebody, you prayed for healing, and they died anyway. Maybe you worked really hard and you still got laid off. Maybe you, you struggled and, and you've been to doctor after doctor and you still suffer from depression. See, life never goes the way that we planned. But when things don't go as planned, it's, it's not time to give up our faith. It's time for us to start looking for God's goodness and his purpose. To see what he's going to do in the midst of all that. I told you that life never goes as planned. So can you trust your own plans? Can you trust your own plans? This is that audience interaction, okay? Can you trust your own plans? No, you can't. So why do we do that? Why do we do that? See, my faith is not in my plan. My faith is in God's purpose. I make my plans knowing that God's purpose will prevail. And so I can go through my plans, but if, if something changes, I've got to be okay with that. I've got to go, okay, God, what is it that you're doing? And start looking for his purpose in that. It's just like Jesus when he was in the garden. He said, God, if, if there's any way that you could let this cup pass from me, I know you're calling me to go to the cross, but if there's any other way to the point where he's sweating droplets of blood, God, is there any way? And even in that moment, his heavenly father said, there's no other way. You have to. And I love Jesus' response because he set such an example for us. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And even after he made that statement, do you realize one of the last words that he said on the cross was, my God, my God, why have you, what, forsaken me? Do you know what forsaken is? It's silence. Why have you turned your back on me? So because Jesus had a season like that, I know we will too. See, the great thing is Romans 8 tells us, for we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to their own purpose. Is that what it says? No. Those who are called according to his purpose for them. We might make plans, but his purpose will always prevail. So you don't have to understand the plan to trust God's purpose. You don't. Are you experiencing a season of silence right now? Or does God feel far, like distant? He's not, he's not even paying attention. He doesn't know what's going on. Is he inactive in your life, inattentive? If so, then I would just say this. Just because God is silent doesn't mean that God is absent. Stay strong in your faith and trust that God has a purpose Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 
Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless. Thank you.